certainly the data consumption model has changed over the years from primarily web-based access to now a lot more APIs and, and direct feeds available. The processing of the data has evolved as well. Really, it's driven by use cases, whether we're processing data for performance reporting use case or direct to investor use case that just involves the need for a user to view a net worth of their accounts. Um, that's really going to influence what we do to the data and how we make it available. It's all about data, whether it comes via APIs, custom integrations, or old fashioned FTP servers, the wealth management industry relies on timely delivery of accurate data in all forms. In this episode, we cover trends in data aggregation, including how it's powering open banking, how it's enriched to support specific client use cases, some tips on selecting a data aggregation vendor, and a whole lot more coming up on the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Morning, sit back and relax. I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. And this podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices all around wealth management technology. Our theme for this month is trends in data aggregation, and our guests were selected to provide insights and analysis on everything around pulling in data from external sources and how to make the best use of it in your organization. In the cold open, you heard our guest, Don McHenry from Morningstar by all accounts talking about how the way data is delivered and consumed in the wealth management industry has dramatically changed over the years. These changes have only made it more difficult for enterprise wealth management firms to maintain their data infrastructures, and they have deteriorated over the years and across multiple acquisitions and mergers until no one in the organization is really quite sure how all the pieces fit together. And that's why Ezra Group launched our Enterprise Data Assessment Service to conduct in-depth reviews, of your data sources, downstream consumers, data utilization analysis for all shapes and sizes of wealth management firms. And we deliver a comprehensive strategy and roadmap to get your data architecture under control. For more information on Ezra Group's data assessment service, go to EzraGroupLLC.com and fill out the get in touch with us form on the homepage. Okay, a couple of quick housekeeping notes before we continue. Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode make sure to check out our sponsor, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation at investinothers.org. And now let's kick this thing off. And I'm happy to welcome our guest for this episode. It is Don McHenry, Senior Product Manager, Morningstar by all accounts. Don, hey, welcome, man. Good to, uh, good to meet you, Greg. I'm glad you could make it. I'm glad we're having this discussion. It's all about data aggregation. This is a topic we like talking about. Uh, we're consultants. We're always looking at products and, and uh, platforms and applications and working with a lot of vendors and working with a lot of broker dealers and large RAAs. Data aggregation comes up all the time, whether it's client portals or reporting, uh, or now we're, 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 we're advisors are able to directly trade some of these uh, uh, Hellway assets with some vendors. There's there's lots going on. It's a it's a fast changing part of the industry, and something that everyone needs. Table stakes now. So let's start it off. If you could give us the elevator pitch for buy all accounts. Yeah, absolutely. 
so bio accounts is really the only aggregator that's focused exclusively on the investor, the advisor, and the platforms that support them. So we were built specifically to deliver high quality and rich data for the purpose of complex investment use cases like performance reporting, portfolio accounting. Um, and what that means is that we are you know, enriching the transactional data that we aggregate for the demands of a reconciliation use case. We're providing you know, highly configured data output options so that our, our data can meet um, the unique needs of our customers' systems, um, helping reduce you know, operational overhead and also you know, consistently matching positions to their correct identifiers, which sounds like a, a fairly uh, obvious and easy thing to do, but it can be quite challenging. Um, and you know, our system has really only become more sophisticated over time. Uh, we were founded uh, about 22 years ago, acquired by Morningstar in 2014, and um, that has really given us uh, access to an incredible depth now of uh, investment product data that we can really use to power our enrichment capabilities in, in differentiated ways. That's what it's all about. Everyone wants to differentiate. Everybody wants to figure out how to uh, stand apart from the crowd because there's, there's so many Me Too products out there. Let's talk about um, what, what, what are you seeing in trends uh, around data aggregation? What's new and, and interesting in the data aggregation world? Sure, yeah. So um, there's certainly you know, an industry-wide move to open banking. Um, we're very bullish on that and you know, believe that is where the industry is going. Uh, so we support these sources today um, and it's, it's really a high priority for us to support more um, as they become available. Uh, and what open banking you know, allows aggregators and, and the account holders to do is really bypass the need for aggregators to store uh, client credentials. Instead, during the account setup experience, we route the user to the bank site where they actually log in directly to the financial institution and manage the aggregator or the app consent there. Um, so we don't need to store client credentials. We're not subject to you know, account breakages because of multi-factor authentication. It's quicker to connect because it's an API. Um, and then customers have a lot more uh, control over who can access their data. They can log right into their security center uh, of their financial institution and see who they've um, consented access to their data. So that's certainly one trend. Um, we're, you know, we're actively involved our, ourselves as bio accounts, as members of um, various uh, consortiums that are really beginning to set the, the standards for, for open banking APIs and, and data. Uh, and it's really great to be at that uh, table, you know, with our focus on the advisor and the investor use cases, we're able to really speak up for their needs, um, help influence these standards from the perspective of um, serving their use cases. So, you know, what data points do they need? What account types is the API model for, you know, investment transactions suitable for portfolio accounting? Um, so, so that's certainly, uh, you know, a, a, a prominent trend. Um, and that kind of also brings up, you know, a, a point of, you know, connectivity types, right? So a lot of different ways that, that aggregators connect to, to financial institutions and collect data for uh, account holders. Um, certainly the preferred method would be direct connections, um, but, you know, you need to be prepared to support all uh, types of connections as an aggregator. It's a very fragmented universe. So um, most connections, you know, there's uh, 10, 15, 20,000 connections out there. Um, most are still web connections, but most of the volume is coming through APIs. So um, I mentioned, you know, we would prefer the direct connections, right? They uh, are a supported delivery mechanism. Um, the, the user experience is typically better, right? No multi-factor authentication that the user has to deal with when connecting accounts, uh, less breaking. Um, but one thing that that's kind of important to keep in mind is that 
the, the core intrinsic data quality is really a matter of what the financial institution has stored. So what I mean by that is that, you know, bad data kind of manifests through any channel, uh, whether it's an API or website. Um, so while the API connections are always preferred, they, they don't guarantee better data. Um, and that's why it's important to participate in these, uh, you know, forums where we can help influence the, the data that's available through these, um, through these uh, channels. Um, and where an aggregator, you know, can really stand out is, is really the use case driven enrichment that they provide to the data. So um, where there are data shortcomings, you know, independent of the collection channel and really asserting your subject matter expertise, your technology uh, to make that data accurate, complete and actionable for, for your customers. I'm gonna ask a few technical questions, but first, can you talk about the sure. way you manage and process data and how that's changed? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, certainly the the data um, consumption model has changed over the years from uh, primarily, you know, web-based access uh, to now a lot more APIs and um, and direct feeds available. Uh, the processing of the data has evolved as well. Um, really, it's driven by use cases, right? So, whether we're processing data for performance reporting use case or direct to investor use case that um, just involves the need for a user to view, uh, you know, a a net worth of their accounts, um, that's really going to influence, uh, you know, what we do to the data and how we make it available. Um, you know, for instance, we support both uh, API and batch delivery for data files, um, again, really use case driven. So, uh, you know, a firm that's interested in daily, you know, back office reporting, they're probably consuming batch files from us. Uh, whereas a firm that's interested in more user engagement, you know, the real time APIs would, would be preferred. Um, and that has evolved, you know, over the, the years to have more of a focus on, on delivering use case driven APIs uh, for those user engagement purposes, making sure those APIs are, are performant, um, understanding, you know, uh, what endpoints you need to provide for specific use cases and balancing kind of the completeness of the data uh, with this, the speed and the performance of the endpoints that you're making available. So that's a great point. So, how, so can you talk about some of the um, parameters you evaluate when you're balancing data and speed with the performance of the endpoints? You know, I think clients want both, right? They want it completely accurate and right now. But how do you do that balancing act? What and what things get? What which trade-offs are you making? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, one example is, um, you know, let's say. Let's, let's say it's a, a complicated use case where the, um, there's an end client portal, right, where a, an account holder is interacting with the aggregation service, but um, the advisor also wants that data into their uh, reconciliation and performance reporting platform to provide holistic performance for their client. Um, when the client goes in and connects their accounts, they really just care about real time, seeing the balance of those accounts, seeing their net worth. So it's not really that important at that point in time to you know go and collect a three months of transactional data and slow down the experience that the, the user's having to, um, to, gain act, to gain access to those accounts and to see that data. Uh, so that operation may be tabled for an overnight operation or for um, something that happens you know, subsequent to the user gaining access to that data in real time. Um, and then making, of course, the additional scope of data available uh, and enriched for the kind of the daily back office uh, batch import for reconciliation and reporting kind of bifurcating those two use cases, but still serving um, the greater, uh, uh, you know, yeah. enterprise that you're user. Indeed. So you guys have been around a long time, one of the uh, the oldest vendors. Uh, so 
as you're seeing the industry change and, and data sources changed, how has how, how the way you manage and process data changed? Um, I, you know, I would say that the way that we manage and process data, there, there's the need kind of like I mentioned before to, to bifurcate the, the aggregation experiences. So you, we still need to serve the, um, the back office use cases that require data, you know, prior day data available first thing in the morning for performance reporting. But we also need to be able to serve use cases of investors that require uh, data on demand, you know, with with little friction, and balance those two things to to still be performant and still deliver a service that um, you know is acceptable. Well, well, we want it be, to be more than acceptable, right? You want it to be certainly. Very <laughs> right? Yeah, indeed. So, are you seeing an uptick? So you mentioned moving from. Uh, websites to APIs, is, is that really moving? Are your clients pushing that? Uh, are, they, are they asking for more access via APIs? Yes, certainly. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, there's the perception that the data is better through the API. Um, you know, it, it's our stance that it's really what the aggregator brings to the table in terms of how, how good of an output you're going to get uh, for the enriched data, whether it's coming from an API or a website. But certainly we would prefer the API connections from a user experience perspective, as would our customers. Um, there's less downtime in aggregation. Uh, there's, there's less need for the end user to be involved in, in repairing a connection. Um, so it's certainly uh, the wish of our customers and um, the uh, objective of us to uh, as, as it is with every aggregator to adopt um, all the APIs as they become available and, and kind of be on the forefront of, of that. Oh yeah, it's in everybody's best interest. You know, we, we do a lot of work with that as well. We're, we're working on some integration um, uh, scoring for vendors to show uh, how well they're moving away from manual interventions or manual connections and towards more automated um, real-time connections like through API. So we're, we're big proponents of that. What about- That's interesting. And if, 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 I, could, if I could ask is that a question, if that's all right, uh, I'm just curious, what is that kind of scoring criteria that you use? Well, for example, it will be, it's based on uh, three primary criteria. One is the breadth of the integration. So how many different integrations do you have? And then the depth of integration. I think breadth is like 15% of the score. Depth is 60%, so what's that, 75? And then the last 25 is ease of use. Mm. Right, so you, you, a, you can't just build a bunch of single sign-ons and flood it and say, well, we're gonna get a good score because your depth is gonna be zero or one, right? Uh, right. So we're looking for, uh, and we're also looking for the core of an advisor's, um, core applications that most advisors use. So the top three CRMs, the top three or four portfolio management tools, the top three or four financial planning tools. So we really want uh, vendors to integrate with all the top vendors. So they're all meshed. And then the ease of use that they've got, it, it's all the APIs are documented, their sample code. We call a couple of clients, they ask them how it's working, that yeah, it was easy. Uh, so that's gonna be part of it. Because if you have APIs, but they're hard to use, uh, or you require right. a developer from the vendor to help you every time you try to use it, well, then it's, it's, it's really very helpful. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And that's, that's good to hear. So thank you for sharing that. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, uh, firms have to think of when, when selecting an aggregation vendor, kind of to your point is, you know, uh, what are, what markets are they committed to? What, 
what data are they collecting? Is it actionable for their use case specifically? Um, you know, and do they cover the right sources for, for me? Uh, yeah, and the right sources can be different for different vendors. Different Absolutely. I'd like to take a break from this episode to talk about our sponsor, the Invest in Others Foundation. The Invest in Others Foundation is running the Invest in Others Awards, which is a program that recognizes the charitable work of financial advisors in communities across the country and around the world. Awards are presented at their signature event, the annual Invest in Others Awards Gala. Over 600 advisors and financial services executives attend this premier event to celebrate those individuals that actively give back to their communities. I've gone to, I think, the last three award galas. They had to cancel it for COVID, and then they canceled it again last year, uh, 2021. Uh, it was normally in September, October timeframe, but hopefully they'll have it again this year. So there are five categories of awards that recognize, uh, recognize the distinct ways that advisors have made a difference through their work with a nonprofit. So the nominations deadline is April 1st. That's less than a month. Just go to investinothers.org and you can click on the nominate, uh, click here to nominate link and nominate an advisor. Um, if they win in one of the five categories, which are Catalyst Award, Community Service Award, Volunteer of the Year Award, Lifetime Achievement Award, and Emerging Impact Award. They can win, let's say, finalists in all categories receive $25,000 for their charity. The winners in the Catalyst Community Service, Next Gen, and Volunteer of the Year categories receive $50,000. The advisor who uh, receives the Lifetime Achievement Award receives $75,000. That's a lot of money for a charity, can really help. I've uh, been lucky enough to be on the, the nominating committee, the, no, the awards committee, the judging committee for a bunch of these different awards. It's really hard. These advisors do some great work, both local communities in the US, in South America, in Central America, in Africa, in Asia, across the world, uh, and right here at home. All kinds of great uh, stories, great charities that help people of all uh, ages, shapes, and sizes. You should uh, uh, nominate someone and also donate. Your company will probably match your donation, which provides twice the benefit. Please go to investinothers.org. Thanks. So can we talk about data enrichment? You'd mentioned that. Can you can you go in a little bit more detail about how you guys enrich the data and what does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as I mentioned kind of at the top, we're we're really focused on on delivering high quality. Uh, enriched investment data for the purpose of, of performance reporting use cases. Um, now, we certainly also collect non-investment data. We provide transaction classification as well for non-investment data. But when it boils down to it, the, the core of our service, when we look at a transaction, we don't just see it really as a you know, $5 expense at Starbucks. Um, we look to understand you know, the impact that the transaction has on the underlying positions, has on cash in the account, has on cost basis. Um, and there's a lot of core enrichment that we have um, dedicated towards that. So uh, some examples are, you know, transaction synthesis. So um, creating, you know, accompanying transactions in order really to minimize share breaks, um, cash flow issues that would, you know, otherwise be experienced. So um, kind of a basic example of that is, you know, if you look in your 401k account, you'll see kind of a contribution every pay period into, into each fund, right? Um, so it's just a single transaction contribution into your fund. 
from a portfolio accounting perspective, that's not really that helpful because what's really happening is there's a deposit of cash and then a buy of the underlying mutual funds. So you need to reflect that in order to um, uh, you know, have the account reconcile properly and to um, you know, uh, d deliver uh, suitable data for that use case. And there's, there's other examples for transaction synthesis that I won't get to too much detail in. Um, subtyping is another really important thing. So we, you know, we populate a, a subtype field um, to include additional transaction type details, which are, you know, important for our customers' systems. Um, and, you know, another thing is that financial institutions really are not always consistent with their transaction signage. So even for similar transaction activity, uh, we normalize transaction signage, and this really helps um, disambiguous, disambiguate uh, the effect that the, the transaction has on, on cash flow and position changes. So those are some of the core enrichment that we provide, and there, there's, there's many more examples happy to, to discuss if you'd like. Um, we also provide a lot of customer-specific enrichment options, and this is really what helps differentiate us as well and, and, and position, positions us very well in the wealth management space. Um, similar transaction synthesis available for customer-specific needs. Uh, what I mean by that is, um, you know, for a fixed income trade, a, a customer may wish to see uh, the sale of a, a fixed income include the sale of the accrued interest in a, in a single line item. They might want those separated. Uh, also, um, you know, with when it comes to dividends, they may want a single reinvestment dividend, or they may want, um, you know, uh, the two separate div um, transactions to represent that reinvestment, like a, a dividend and a buy, right? So um, we certainly have that option. Uh, also for a customer specific um, enrichment, we have a lot of control that we give the customers over the data output. Um, and this is extremely important because they, you know, we, we integrate off the shelf with, with many major platforms, but there's also proprietary systems that, that leverage our service and they need to um, be able to easily plug into their uh, their platform. So we, we allow them to really customize the, the data output um, in ways that help reduce the integration costs, um, allow also a lot of really ad hoc uh, translations and filters of the data. So if we get feedback from our customers, um, you know, our normalization will, will decide the best transaction type, but maybe our customer systems have special handling that requires some kind of unique modification to, to our default handling. Um, we take that feedback as just a normal part of our service and, and can deliver ad hoc uh, translations for our customers. Um, also, you know, um, off the shelf, uh, um, deliver the need or the, the ability to filter out positions in transactions. So if there's certain transactions our customers don't want to see, let's say they have a trade order management system, they don't want the buys and sells, they want all the other activity, we can filter those out. You know, there's informational journal transactions, they don't want those, we can filter those out. So those are some examples of, of the customer specific enrichment. Um, and really all of these things that we do, what they aim to do is, is help reduce the, the cost of um, leveraging a data aggregation provider for these advanced reporting use cases. So there's typically a lot of back office costs that goes into poor data quality, right? And these are, um, there's certainly technologies that are involved in this, but there's also a lot of individuals that, that touch data when it comes into a back office platform. And the more, the, the more poor the data quality is, the more individuals and the more time they need to spend um, in preparing it for, for their customers. Um, and poor data, of course, you know, erodes the, the trust between an investor and advisor, also between the advisor and the, the platform. Um, so, you know, we aim certainly to, uh, to help, um, you know, uh, avoid those, uh, those tough, tough um, conversations of, of bad data quality. One thing that I found is difficult 
when it comes to data aggregation vendors is comparing them. Very difficult to look at the output because you just it's not like there's a report. I can just run the show me which one's better. It's you know, something you have to run over time, looking at hundreds or, or more of different data sources of, under different conditions, different times of the year, times of the month. So what have you found when you're comparing yourself by all accounts to other vendors? What where are your strengths and weaknesses? Sure. I mean, kind of like I was mentioning before, you know, in general, like when selecting a vendor, you want to understand, you know, what market is that aggregator committed to? Um, what use cases are they enriching the data for? You know, is it for payments? Is it for credit decisioning? Is it for investment purposes? Is it for spending? Um, do they cover the right sources for you? So those are all really important uh, questions to ask when when selecting a vendor. Um, you know, one of the other things that really helps sets, uh, set bio accounts apart, of course, is the, um, the fact that we are a Morningstar product, right? So really, the aggregation and engagement solutions that we can deliver with use of the Morningstar ecosystem is really greater than a sum of its parts. So we have the ability to collaborate across teams um, within Morningstar that serve a whole cross-section of the financial services industry. So the products that serve the investor, products that serve the enterprise, products that serve the advisor. Um, and we have a lot of great internal partners that uh, use our aggregation service in these products. So we can actually see you know, how our data is being used, what works, what doesn't work, where do we need to invest and make enhancements. Um, so again, from our perspective, we're really committed to the investor, the advisor, and the platforms that support them. Um, you know, we certainly have, have great external partners as well where we can get this feedback, but it's, it's a big benefit to have this in-house. Um, and also, you know, as part of the, the Morningstar ecosystem, there's all sorts of great tools and data available to help us really create a, a flywheel effect with our products. So, um, you know, certainly we have customers that um, use our aggregation and other Morningstar services and, and kind of integrate those together themselves. Um, and one of the things that, that we're investing in, you know, uh, now and, and in the near future is kind of delivering even more turnkey uh, um, aggregation solutions that involve other Morningstar data and other Morningstar analysis capabilities to provide really a level of depth that um, differentiates us amongst the other aggregators. And back to differentiation, that's what it's about. Can you talk about, let's talk about something fun. So let's talk about the buzz we're, we're hearing. What is going on? This, there's so much talk about um, acquisitions and more mergers. You know, we have, of course, we have the Plaid um, attempted uh, acquisition. Other, what, what are you hearing around the buzz in the industry? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's quite a lot of buzz. I think um, you know the uh, you mentioned the Plaid attempted acquisition. I think at the time the valuation was was five billion, which was quite a, a, a surprise for for many. And I think their valuation has even increased you know many fold since then. Um, so really, a lot of uh, um, of this buzz is is attributed to kind of two uh, main areas: so competitive pressures and advancements in technology. So. From the competitive perspective, fintechs are really accelerating digital transformation for um, older wealth management enterprises. So what I mean by that is that you know customers can really use free services to see a 360-degree view of their financial lives. They expect this now with their advisor, their money manager to have these same capabilities, because if they don't, someone else will, right? So when an advisor uses aggregation to gain access to, to all of their customers' data, that really makes a highly compelling and, and customized and personalized experience that they can deliver. Um, and then on the kind of advancements in, in technology side, so you know, aggregation is 
no longer really just about um, an overview of accounts, right? It's how is that data being enriched and how is it made actionable for, for use within the enterprise? You know, everything from simple net worth delivery to end users to suitability, business intelligence, you know, customer engagement and marketing. Um, and, you know, now with, with open banking, customers, you know, or consumers' data is, is portable, right? So it belongs to them. They, they can share this between apps. And, and as an aggregator now, we are at the intersection of all this, right? We're the intermediaries, intermediaries that bring all this data together between stakeholders um, and, and we grow with the, the ecosystem. There were reports a while back of banks shutting off access to third-party data aggregators <laughs> or scraping, screen scraping their websites and they didn't like that. Is that still happening? And if so, how are you dealing with it? I imagine the open banking APIs link into that somehow? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, um, we've engaged, uh, like I said, we're, we're live now with open banking APIs with, with a number of institutions um, and we're engaged uh, in building uh, um, connections with others. And, you know, part of the, uh, the, the deal here is that, you know, we're, we're getting off the website. We're not aggregated from the website any longer when the open banking APIs are available. So there's certainly, you know, quite a bit of um, operational, you know, internal migrations that need to happen and collaboration with our customers to make that work. Um, but, you know, typically uh, um, institutions are, are giving us a deadline, right? Okay, here's access to our open banking APIs. Great. Uh, we have a, a direct relationship with you. And, and now it's time to, to move to that channel. And, um, you know, we will uh, essentially block the, the website connection, um, you know, at this date, right? So we're definitely seeing that. And we're working together with the financial institutions and abiding by their um, by their needs for that. And then there's also kind of the uh, the more kind of rogue situations that you'll see where they'll impl implement certain technologies that just simply block, you know, aggregation altogether um, or make it very difficult to uh, aggregate accounts and, and kind of erode the, the user experience. Um, in those cases, you know, there's, there's two things we can do. One is um, we, you know, uh, attempt to make our technology as adaptable as possible and have the best, you know, messaging to our user about um, connecting accounts and setting up accounts. And then the other option, of course, which is always, uh, you know, what we attempt to do is, is connect, connect with the institution, um, establish a relationship with them, and discover alternative means for collecting data. Cool, very cool. So one other thing that we're seeing on our end is the concept of aggregator of aggregators. It seems like it's gaining momentum at some firms, especially larger firms, larger broker dealers that can afford to build out their own technology or other vendors that are building tools to connect to multiple uh, APIs or multiple um, aggregators. Uh, are you seeing that as well? And how do you see that changing the way aggregation is used? Yeah, you know, certainly, um, you know, I think the, the, the biggest thing to keep in mind for that is that, you know, it's really important for the aggregator to own the whole aggregation experience. Um, ultimately, it's about delivering a, a compelling user experience, keeping the client engaged, mm -hmm. and by owning the whole from the connection to the enrichment to the delivery of the data, you're, you're providing more value than, than someone that doesn't provide that service uh, can. You know, there, there are certainly some advantages of aggregator of aggregators in terms of being able to kind of point and shoot at different institutions. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it, it's, it's not them that has control over the, the technology, the connections, and, um, you know, being uh, owning that yourself is 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 a uh, a major um, benefit. 
Can you share some of your product roadmap? What's what's coming down the pike for uh, file accounts users? What, what do you have to look forward to? Sure. Yeah. Um, so we're really focused on on three areas. Uh, those those three areas are investor engagement, um, advisor ROI, and workflow automation. So from an investor engagement perspective, you know, I mentioned this ecosystem of Morningstar capabilities we have, uh, and our data is really plug and play into this ecosystem. Um, one of the things I failed to mention earlier when I was talking about our enrichment is um, not only will we, you know, map uh, all positions that we aggregate to their accurate ticker and QSIP, we actually also map them to the internal Morningstar ID. And that really unlocks a lot for our customers. We have many customers that are also Morningstar data customers, and they can really easily correlate the aggregated data with the Morningstar data. Um, so we're now uh, you know, taking the initiative to, to make some of these services a little more turnkey for our customers. Um, you know, Adding things like, if you think about a, a customer aggregating their portfolio through our, our services, hey, we can add the portfolio risk score, we can add the, the excuse me, sustainability rating. Um, you know, and this is, this is great because investment behavior really has changed for younger investors. So if you're trying to go more, more downstream with your users or, or, or reach a larger audience, you know, um, they're looking for more editorial content. They're, they want to make sure that their portfolio, you know, aligns with their risk and their values, you know, understanding the, the holding and, and, and sector kind of exposure that their portfolio has. And these are all things we can really deliver off the shelf with, um, with all these great Morningstar capabilities we have. So certainly investing more in that in the realm of investor engagement. Um, also in that realm, uh, financial wellness tools. So um, high level kind of view of financial health health married with, um, with guidance. So we have a great uh, team here of behavioral scientists that are really helping us innovate and drive um, and, uh, these tools and bring them to market. So they're less focused on, on being in the, the budgeting weeds and take more of a, a holistic approach at financial wellness. So what I mean by that is, you know, how much income are you allocating towards debt versus day-to-day -day consumption versus, um, you know, the future? And is that balanced according to your goals and, you know, maybe our recommendations? Um, you know, how is your savings from a short-term and, and long-term solvency perspective? So are you prepared for an emergency event, uh, you know, losing your job? How close are you to financial freedom if you're, you know, more uh, an older individual closer to retirement? Um, so those are uh, really exciting um, financial wellness tools. And then also on the investor engagement side, you know, we're, we're committed to delivering, you know, the broadest set of, of data connections for investors and advisors. So, um, you know, that means uh, connecting to new asset classes, right? So cryptocurrency is, is something that is in high demand, right? So we have customers that, that need access to these sources because their clients have this data, or in some cases, there's turnkey asset management platforms that advisors are beginning to use. So we've engaged in relationships with them to deliver direct feeds to provide that data downstream to, to platforms. Um, on the advisor ROI side, so really trying to highlight the interoperability of our data. So not, not only can we serve the portfolio accounting use cases, but we can also really deliver advisor and investor alerts and insights uh, from our data. So some examples might be, you know, hey, there's idle cash uh, in this investor's you know, portfolio. Let's, let's open an account. I can engage with that investor and open an account. Their you know, risk exceeds the risk profile. That's a, a discussion for diversification. Um, they've changed their job or their income has changed. Hey, let's update your, your savings and contributions. And, you know, these types of insights and, and alerts can really help, you know, give the advisor more time to, to offer their client trusted, personalized advice in, in a way that a robo is unable to do. So 
Um, the, uh, the third was the workflow automation and onboarding. So in, investing in some uh, tools and capabilities there to help enterprises you know, facilitate asset transfers and onboard clients um, uh, quicker and, uh, and um, you know, excited about that as well. Fantastic. Wow, John, man, you covered everything. You did it, you killed it. <laughs> and uh, time is up. Can you tell us, Don McHenry, Senior Product Manager, where people listening can find out more information about Morningstar Bile Accounts? Yeah, certainly. Um, so uh, we have a website, <laughs> so I would start there. Um, and, you know, there's information on how to contact us. Uh, you know, certainly um, reach out to me if you want on LinkedIn. I could route you to the right channel. I'm happy to answer any questions you have. Awesome. Don, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, Craig. Uh, thanks for having me. Hey, it's Craig again. Here are my top three takeaways from this episode. Number one. The move to open banking will allow aggregators to bypass the saving of client credentials and instead connect directly to the financial institutions with the data. This avoids the annoying problem of account breakages due to multi-factor authentications or just uh, clients changing their passwords. Number two, uh, enrichment is a critical part of how data aggregation vendors improve the quality of the data they deliver, including transaction synthesis, which is a really cool process where they create accompany transactions to minimize breaks in your recon. And three, how to choose a data aggregation provider. Well, most of the largest vendors have been acquired by even larger firms. So look to see how they're leveraging their parent company's resources. Do they collaborate uh, with other parts of the company? and look for their product ecosystem that you can take advantage of. All right, that's it. You've made it to the end of this week's episode. Thanks for sticking it out. And please go to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you'll receive an email chock full of wealth management technology, goodness, news, links, and analysis. You will not be disappointed. Thanks again to our sponsor, the Invest in Others Foundation. Go to investinothers.org. And I'll catch you all again next time.